This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and cat lover. So my mission for the show is always to expose you to new ideas and educate you on ways to keep your cats happy and healthy. So I've invited my friend, Dr. Liz Bales, to talk with us today. Dr. Bales is a specialist, so to speak, in ways to make cats happy. And she's going to teach us some things we may not know about our cats and expose us to some ideas to make things better. So we'll be right back with Dr. Liz Bales right after these messages. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat, and I've got Dr. Liz Bales with me. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, so it's really fun to have you because you're kind of a friend of mine, and we can have sort of a, a fun, warm conversation. And I want to talk a little bit about cats and how mysterious they are and what we can learn about them. And I know that you know a lot about them. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. Well, this happens to be my favorite subject in the entire world. When I became a vet, I actually was going to be a horse vet. And then I decided to go into small animal practice pretty quickly because it was kind of lonely out there in my truck all by myself. And when I got into the small animal hospital, I would work on cats. And of course, we all know the medicine. We all learned that in vet school. But when I would interact with a cat, it would go badly quickly. And I would have these technicians who would come in and very kindly say like, Dr. Bales, would you mind stepping back? And they would sort of swoop in and in seconds, it was like a different cat on the table. And I was like, what sort of witchcraft is that? I need to learn that. And so for the past 20 years, I have been just fascinated with cat behavior. So I wonder if you know this, and if you don't, would you think it's weird that I went to vet school to work on horses too? And um, I was always a horse lover, and my dad said, if you had opened my head when I was a little girl, that a little tiny horse would have trotted out. (laughs) But, um, and I still love horses, but 
as life went, I mean, I had a cat. I didn't have a horse. I had a cat. And sort of life just changes and our path just changes. But yeah, horses got me to vet school and dogs and cats made me stay there, I guess. So you're, you're totally right about the impact a person's and maybe even another animal's body language and actions can affect the way a cat is. So, um, and I think we, they're not people, right? So people are, are a little different. So let's talk about that a little bit. So this is where things get super interesting. And we now have so much great research to be able to tease this apart. And it turns out humans are actually not very good at reading animal body language. And we're not very good at understanding that other creatures can see the world entirely different than us. And so when we look at an animal, we imagine what they're thinking based on what we're thinking. And with cats, it really doesn't work that way. You know, you're totally right. I think we could totally go down a rabbit hole about how bad <laughs> we are as human beings at and understanding. We mean well, right? Yeah. We mean well. <laughs> And we, we want, like, we love them like our, they're our babies. And so we treat them like a human baby. And it turns out that's really not what they need a lot of the time. Even though, like, we're trying and we're doing the best we can, it's just missing the mark. Well, we're not even that good at understanding other people that think differently. That is true. So, you know, in a way, I actually think this is an incredibly healing topic. Because if we can go through the exercise of understanding the difference between humans and cats, which is a little more obvious, and once you start doing it and seeing how different your life will be with your cat, it really does give you a foundation for interacting with people from different backgrounds than you and different, when you approach someone, you start thinking differently, not like, wow, what what should I do? But more, how do they see the world and how can I make this easier for them? So being an animal lover makes you more empathetic. And I really, I really believe that. And if you can understand a cat, then it opens the door to understand other animals and other people. So, um, so, so we're trying to keep our cats in captivity, basically. So let's talk about the impact of what we expect from our cats and what kind of environment we provide for our cats and the impact that has on them. So cats are just the most remarkable creatures. And when we think about cats as humans, we think about how incredibly adorable they are. They're beautiful to look at. They just look like a stuffed animal. They have these adorable sounds that they make. And so we sort of think of them, like we infantilize them. That's kind of a fancy word for we make babies out of them. But what's really happening inside of that adorable cute sounding creature is one of the world's most efficient and spectacular killing machines. These are extraordinary hunters. And in nature, almost all of our cats, now I have had a sphinx before, so I'm going to take Carlos and his, his cat kind out of this. But almost every cat, if you just open the door and let them go out, they are going to return to being a hunter and live just fine if they can stay out from underneath the car. They are not really domesticated. And this is a big, somewhat controversial topic, but they more co-evolved with humans than were bred to be a housemate. Yes, that's fascinating. Right? So the same cat that's in my living room, if it was outside, it would choose its life 
circumstances very specifically. And here's, like, I'll give you the cheat sheet for it. Cats are solitary survivors. So now let's look at humans. We are a cooperative species. I live with my husband and my two kids and my mother-in-law and I have lots of friends. And so when I need something, I think about who can help me. I'm actually quite a networker. So I'm always thinking about who can help me and who can I help. And so if I get in trouble, even let's think about in this pandemic, like I get out of paper towels. Some of us had that problem. I can call my neighbor and say, do you have paper towels? Now that's hardly life or death, but it's sort of an example of how we really help each other as human beings. Sometimes we're not so super at it, but we all have our, I call it the inner sanctum, right? The people that we're going to help and that we turn to for help. Cats don't work that way. So cats are solitary survivors. That means that they hunt alone, they eat alone, and they do not count on anyone else to come help them. So when we think about like humans, think about prehistoric man, if you will, hunting and gathering, we did that in groups. And if you think about a lion out on the plains, they are bringing down their dinner together and they eat together. Even a pack of dogs hunts together and eats together. But a cat, you don't see three cats surrounding a mouse to bring them down. A cat hunts alone. The edible contents of a mouse are only about a tablespoon to a tablespoon and a half and only about 35 calories. So that cat has to hunt alone, eat alone, and no one is coming to help them. And those three things really inform the entire way that they see the world and move through the world. I am more like a cat. Like it has been a struggle <laughs> for me to network. And I think a lot of people in the veterinary profession kind of are like, like we can't accept help or we, or we just, I don't know, keep martyring ourselves to, um, to make it all happen. We want to be the helper, right? We want to be the helper, not the receiver. Yeah. We want to be the helper. Yeah. yeah. So cats just speak to me and I, I really do like that. And, um, I mean, my husband, laughs that I like for my chair to be in a sunbeam. And he's like, I don't know, <laughs> you, you are a cat. And then Marty Becker teases me that my name is cat and that uh -huh. I have no other choice, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> so that's important. So, so what do you think are a cat's minimum needs? So, you know, this is a topic that I am sort of not sort of, I am rapidly trying to bring to the forefront to mix some veterinary metaphors here, but when, when I graduated vet school, and I think still, if you were to go to most of your shelters and well-meaning pet stores and wherever, and you ask about the minimum needs of a cat, they're going to say food, water, and a litter box. And that's about it. And then you have a pretty big group of people who feel very passionately about what that food should be. And so you can get into a pretty exciting argument about wet food, dry food, raw food, that kind of thing. But what the veterinary science bears out is that the minimum needs for a cat are, a, they're a lot more. They're actually not hard. They're not complicated, but it's a bigger list. So I'm going to go through it real quick. They need places to climb and places to hide in every room where they spend a lot of time. And if you have multiple cats who choose to spend time together in, in the same core areas of the house, they each need that. So if you've got six cats and you all spend time in your living room, they need six places to climb and six places to hide in that room. That's kind of hard for people to understand. And they say, well, my two cats love to be on the sofa together. And that might be true. And they may be very happy there. 
But the way I explain this particular phenomenon is this. Now, I am in my living room right now, so I don't know which room of the house you're in, but my living room has two comfortable sofas and lots of windows and big doors. Imagine whatever room you're in, look around. Now imagine I took all the windows and doors away and brought the walls in about two feet in either direction. How do you feel? Yeah, I wouldn't like that because I'm in an office that has a wall of windows and I really, I really enjoy that. So yes, I completely feel that. And I think that people just don't realize it. I mean, so they, even though you're not using it, right? Like you're not jumping yeah. out the window right now and you're not walking out the door. So even though you're not using it, it's very important to your sense of safety that you have the ways that you would flee if you needed to even when you're not using them. And the same is true for cats. So we talked about that solitary hunter and solitary survivor that a cat is. And the way that they protect themselves is by climbing up to a high space or nestling themselves into a tiny space where kind of they can look out, but they hope nobody can see in. And so even if they're not using it, just like the windows and the doors in the room that you're sitting in, they need to know that they're there and that there's enough for each of them all the time. That is fascinating. When we don't provide that, they have that feeling like you would have if I took away your doors and windows, that sort of elevated heart rate, agitated feeling all the time. That is so important. And we don't want our cats to feel just a low-grade stress. And we're going to talk about the impact of low-grade stress on cats and not, and what happens when we don't meet their needs after we take a quick break and we're going to learn more about the mysteries of the cat. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. And Dr. Liz Bales and I are talking about the needs of the cat that you may not have realized or ever really thought about uh, in your environment for your cat and, and what happens when your cat doesn't have these needs met. So, so Dr. Bales, let's get back to the low-grade stress of not having the psychological needs met for a cat. So it's really mind-blowing and also incredibly simple. So they need to feel safe. They need to obtain their food in the way nature intended. They need to be able to go to the bathroom in a place that they feel safe. So we're like basic safety, right? Basic 
comfort in life. And I can go through the other ones, but when those things don't exist every single day for a cat, they feel that low grade stress all the time. And just like human beings under stress all day, every day, and I think some of us can relate with this from the pandemic, you start to get a little sick. You know, you might start in the beginning to, um, for me, I did a lot of baking and maybe eating a lot of carbs. We find outlets to deal with this that aren't the healthiest. A cat really might do the same thing and become food obsessed and just really look to eat all the time. They have that circulation of, of those stress hormones all the time, and those have physical consequences and over time actually cause urinary disease. They cause GI disease. Nothing like that's crazy. It, imagine, you know, go back to high school and your worst stress dream, right? When you know you have a test and you didn't prepare, you actually get an upset stomach. People get GI problems from acute stress, but over time, you also get those GI problems from chronic stress. Skin disease that won't heal up, even though you're doing all the right things. We know that cats get viruses and sort of keep those viruses in a dormant state for their entire life. Under stress, those viruses come back out. And so you can have a cat that's sneezing and, and having an upper respiratory virus kind of chronically all the time. And the underlying reason for these things that are, if you go through the list, urinary disease, GI disease, viral disease, skin disease, like this is kind of cats. I don't know about you, but of the cats that you saw in your clinic this year, what percentage of them is that? It's the list. I mean, the other cats that I saw had other common feline diseases, you know, like diabetes or what have you. But a lot of the young to middle-aged cats that I saw have, have these things. And people think it's just okay. It's just a cat thing. It's just cats, right? And the common denominator isn't a cat. The common denominator is that we have cats and we didn't understand what they needed and how to give it to them. And I also think, and someday I'm going to get the right group of people together and enough funding together to study this, but I wonder the impact of chronic stress over time in cats. Why do they have so much more kidney disease than any other species? Why do we see so much GI lymphoma? Why do we see so much hyperthyroidism? You know, it may be unrelated, but I would like to know if it's related to a lifetime of stress from unmet needs. We don't know. We don't know, but I'm real curious. So me too, because I really keep an eye on the cat diseases and how really overrepresented they are. I treat kidney disease, hyperthyroidism, skin disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and lymphoma every day. Every day. So if I could make an impact on that, and maybe you and I can just with the people that are listening to us today. Yes. So Let's talk about how meal times are for cats. Anybody who knows me know this is my the dawn of my obsession. <laughs> so for a cat, we talked about that mouse, right? So the typical prey for a cat is a mouse or even an insect or um, a frog or a lizard or something small, right? They're not, they're not eating. They could kill a skunk or a rabbit, but they're not eating that whole thing typically at that time. So for an average cat living an average life, they actually have to hunt, catch. And then what I love about cat behavior that remains such a mystery for me is that playing with the prey before they kill it and then eating it. And they have to do that if they are eating mice, eight to 12 mice every single day. 
So this drive that Mother Nature has to give them to get up and do that, they might have a hundred hunting attempts to be successful 10 times a day. So 80% of the time that a cat is awake, they're hunting in nature. In nature, mice don't just jump into a food bowl? <laughs> they don't run headlong at the cats in groups. No, <laughs> they do not. They do not. And Mother Nature is just so smart. And when we look to solving our problems, if we look to nature, how's it working in nature? And can we give that back in some way? Then these problems start to go away. So when we put a cat in front of a bowl of really nutrient dense food that they don't have to work for, and that is super tasty, like if you put two and two together, kind of makes sense that they would be food obsessed and gobble it all up and then throw it right back up if their stomach is only supposed to accept a tablespoon and a half at a time. And if mother nature is driving them to want to hunt many, many times a day, wouldn't it make sense that they sort of want food all the time, even if they've had enough calories? Like it starts to make sense. It makes sense for me. <laughs> right? Well, I want food all the time, me especially too. if I'm bored, which right? I'm not typically bored, but I am a little stressed. So, you know, I totally feel what you're saying. I think the cortisol and the stress hormones have been driving me to eat comfort food during all of this stress. So that's real for human beings too. It's real. It's, I think that this pandemic is hopefully, you know, it's had a lot of downsides, but one of the upsides I hope is some empathy. And so, you know, imagine whatever you do 80% of the time you're awake that you like, and that's rewarding. If I took away any way for you to accomplish that, the impact I joke that, and it's not a funny joke, it's a sad joke, that the happiest day for your cat should not be when a cricket gets in the house or a spider and they finally get to interact in the way nature intended. So, you know, most people aren't going to release eight to 12 mice in their house every day. No, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but what can we do? I mean, there are, there are ways we can do this and you've come up with some. So this is what I, I have spent the last six years doing. So I invented something that's awfully simple called the hunting feeder. So instead of putting that food in the bowl, you actually put the food into three little plastic mice with a scoop that is portion controlled to about that tablespoon and a half. And you hide them around the house. And, you know, for the average cat eating the average dry food, you do those three mice before you go to work. So there's something for your cat to do during the day. And you hide them again before you go to bed because cats are crepuscular hunters. There's like my favorite Scrabble word. But what that means is they want to hunt at dawn and dusk. And so the dusk part kind of works with our life because we're doing our thing then anyway. But between three and five in the morning, a lot of cats are waking their people up. Even if there's food in the bowl, they sort of hunt you for that predatory satisfaction. Then you get up and fill the bowl and then they'll eat. But if you hide these mice overnight, then they actually get to do that sequence of hunt, catch, play, eat three meals overnight, and you get to sleep. So it's a quality of life improver for the cat and the people. And in so many ways for both, because that scarf and barf, I like to call it, of eating that way too big quantity of food and throwing up. So now you split that meal into six and three are delivered during the day and three are delivered overnight. And so that scarf and barf is gone. If your cat's vomiting because they're gobbling up food, that is gone the first day. You get to sleep in. And when a cat has an appropriate way to express their predatory behavior, they're less aggressive. They are less destructive. And 
they're less likely to pee outside the litter box. Yay. (laughs) So how long does it take the average cat to get used to this new system? So every cat is different. Some cats, it's like instantaneous and other cats can take a few days. And there's instructions all over the place for it. And the mice are actually made of two parts. There's a fabric outside part and a plastic inside part. And, you know, now 150,000 cats around the world are eating this way. So I've learned from them. And if you put the food treats and even a little catnip right in the fabric part, take the plastic part out and put the food and treats right in there, almost every cat will go for it. It's enough like a bowl. And what I've learned is not only is it easy to use that way, but also you're taking advantage of the feline facial pheromones of positivity. So when they smash their face into this fabric to eat, they're releasing happy cat pheromones that are getting wiped on the fabric. So now when you put the plastic piece back in, it smells like food, it smells like happy cat times, and it's much easier for them to acclimate. Okay, so tell us how to find it. So if all my listeners are like, yay, this sounds awesome, how do they find it? <laughs> so you could, first, I love supporting local stores. And so you can ask at your local pet store. It's called Doc and Phoebe's Hunting Feeder. And your local pet store, I hope, has it. If not, you can get it at Target.com and Amazon.com. You can get the Hunting Feeder also on QVC.com. And now what's super exciting is you can also get, I just launched the Wet Feeder. So Until now, the hunting feeder was only for dry food and treats, but the wet feeder you can get, I think, on Amazon and definitely on Target.com. And again, ask your local store because we really need to help our local businesses right now. Oh, very much. I talk about this actually a lot, which is why it was very exciting that you agreed to come on to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat because I think that it's groundbreaking in the way we manage our cats. So thank you so much for your time and for explaining all of this stuff. It was really fun. It's always fun to talk to you. So I appreciate it. Now, the the wet feeder, what's the name of it? The wet feeder. I kept it real simple. That was really creative. (laughs) Good job. I kept it real simple. Well, it needs to be simple because this makes um, feline husbandry a little bit more simple. And that's what we like, right? Yes. Yes. And stay tuned because pairing this incredible science that our colleagues have discovered with the boil it down into something that everybody can understand and then give this product that's a solution to implement it in your home is my passion. I'm hoping to make the world a happier, safer place for cats and the people that love them. Well, me too. So that works out really well. So thank you so much, Dr. Liz Bales. It was so good to have you. And I hope that all of my listeners are able to find and explore the feeder options because their cats will be happier and they will learn more about happy cats. So thank you. It was good to talk to you. You too. Thanks for having me. I always like to thank my amazing producer, Mark Winter, because he makes Nine Lives with Dr. Cat perfect. And I want my listeners to go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.